Welcome to the Creative Agency Account Manager podcast with me, Jenny Plant from Account Management Skills Training. I'm on a mission to help those in agency client service keep and grow those existing client relationships so your agency business can thrive. Welcome to episode 61. First of all, I want to say thank you for tuning in if you're a regular listener. I've had quite a few people contact me over the last few months and say that they're enjoying the episodes and that they're valuable. So I want to say a big thank you to you if you've given me feedback and also for choosing to spend your time with me because I know many people have lots of demands on their time. My aim is always to give value. And in interviews, I'm always trying to ensure the guests share relevant insight, golden nuggets of wisdom and tips to help you or inspire you in your agency role. So please keep giving me feedback and also letting me know you're listening. I really, really appreciate it. Today's episode is about people and culture in a creative agency. It's going to be particularly relevant if you're an independent agency owner, because my expert guest, Sarah Brewster, talks to me about why attracting and retaining staff is the biggest challenge in the industry at the moment. And she shares some tips for how to recruit effectively, advice for navigating issues such as diversity and inclusion, safety at work, the Me Too movement, etc., and why she's seen a loss of kindness post-pandemic. She also shares why IR35 has had a huge impact on freelancing and a way to ensure equal pay across the business. She shares lots, lots more, and this is actually jam-packed with tips. So I hope you enjoy this chat as much as I did. Let's go over to the introduction now. Today, I'm delighted to welcome Sarah Brewster, who's the MD of Fresh Seed. And Fresh Seed is a company that offers a wide range of people and culture services for creative agencies and the creative industry in general. Sarah, welcome. Thank you. Lovely to be here. I'm really excited about getting into the questions. So to start us off, Sarah, would you mind spending a few minutes talking about you, your background and why you started Fresh Seed? Yeah, thanks. So I started life, gosh, a long time ago in the creative industries. It's far too long ago and I won't tell you numbers, but I worked in PR, web design, and, and in those days, web design was new media. And then I went on to work in games and various other creative organisations. And during my time in those companies, I obviously gained a lot of experience and a wider breadth of knowledge and issues that were in the industry. And some of those are around mental health and some of those are around sort of poor behaviours generally by leadership and team members really towards each other and kind of just general behaviours. And that sort of led me to do a counselling qualification that then led me on to doing well, where I am now with my career in terms of sort of design and development and organisation psychology. And all of that sort of became the sum of me starting Fresh Seed, really, because what I wanted to do was bring to people that are organisations a way of managing people that was accessible, I suppose. I think quite often in the industry that people are so busy moving forward, they sort of neglect the people issues. And also in this industry, we do have a higher than average issue with mental health. And so during that kind of early years and and doing a counselling qualification, I realised that it was a way to help individuals thrive at work really and come back into work. And all of that led me to set up Fresh Seed. And I, I had quite a horrible experience myself where I was made redundant after having a baby. And I thought, well, I don't want to work for someone else ever again. Then I'm going to start my own business. And that's how it began. 
Amazing. And typically are your clients kind of independent agency owners that perhaps aren't at the size where they have an in-house HR department or people and culture department? Yeah, it's entirely that. And we work across the sector. So we don't just work with agencies, but we work with a whole creative sector. So our sort of models respond to that, which means sometimes like kind of we're very agile, I suppose. Yeah. And we always work with businesses that are sort of scaling who are beginning to have HR needs in a way that perhaps they didn't when they were just sort of five, 10 people. Great. So you started in the creative industry, you saw the problems and you thought, right, I can help. You upskilled yourself. And is that why you feel so passionate now? Because you experienced a lot in your background, the things that, you know, poor behaviours, etc. Is that why you feel passionate about Fresh Seed? Absolutely, completely. You know, it's been an interesting journey working in this industry and it's not for everyone. It's been sort of tested in many ways. But I love this industry. You know, look what we create. It's incredible. And I really just passionately believe that in the talent that puts things out there, all that content out there, it needs to be nurtured. And that nurture doesn't come through financial planning or through sort of forecasting or even that kind of manufacturing model, that corporate model. It comes from sort of really nurturing and tailoring a response to help people thrive. And because my background is not purely sort of HR, there's that kind of psychology background. As a business, we've really got to the sort of nuts and bolts of behaviour as well as sort of them providing an HR package that suits it. And that's how we sort of get this culture to thrive. So yeah, completely passionate, massively passionate about it. Before I carry on with the questions, you said something earlier I just wanted to ask you about. You said that you were made redundant. Did you say after you became pregnant or after you had a baby? Like, isn't that against the law? So I was made redundant just four months after going back to work, after having had my baby. Um, Yeah, it's highly illegal. What is the law around that? Just for anyone listening that perhaps has a a staff member that's pregnant and maybe isn't up to speed, hopefully they will be. But if you're you're a member of staff who's pregnant and going on maternity leave, then you have to honour the statutory maternity regulations and there's loads of those available online to access. So you can do that. You don't have to come to us for that, although do. But you can get that through ACAS and, and places like that if you need to. But yeah, a woman is entitled to up to nine months maternity and longer, but men, nine months is, is paid on a statutory. And they have to have a minimum of two weeks after the baby is born. They can choose to come back to work if they wish to, but most women don't. And in terms of what happens after the baby is born and then they come back to work. It's a grey area that you dismiss, but in my instance, it was discrimination. It was discrimination because I was sort of made redundant for, because I'd had a baby and they knew that I was going to have more. And that's why they made me redundant. Did you take it further at the time? Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. Uh It it settled outside of court through solicitors. And just for the record, their solicitor, in any conversation like that, it should start without prejudice and their their solicitor didn't start the conversation without prejudice because he said it's fully prejudiced. This is all. Wow. Gosh. Okay. Fantastic. Well, thank you for sharing that. That's quite an experience and I can see why you feel so driven to help others. So can you tell me what are the typical challenges that creative agency owners face when it comes to people and culture? I think the biggest challenge at the moment is attracting and retaining staff. There is 
a shortfall of about a million people because of Brexit. And how do you overcome those issues is massive, isn't it? If you can't get people, and it's it's widely seen through the Great Resignation that people have changed the way they work through, and because of COVID, people have worked from home and they want that. And how do you compete with that? If you're a small business, what can you do? You know, it's a real dilemma for businesses to really put themselves creatively and get themselves out there, particularly when they can't compete with salary and when they can't compete with benefits because they're a small business. It's a real challenge. There are ways that you can be more creative, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's the quick fix because it isn't. And in terms of staff retention, I think one of the biggest challenges is when you're moving really fast, you forget to communicate. And who are you as a leader? When you're not communicating with your staff, it shows sort of shows you don't really care. And although that might not be your intention, and it may not be what you mean, and you might be a great bloke down the, or girl down the pub, and you might want to, you know, be the first at the bar. If you're not there present and communicating and giving people information about where the business is going, people make their own assumptions. And all of a sudden you've got a them and us culture and, or you've got somebody who's underperforming or so on and so forth. And these issues become quite toxic quite quickly. So staff retention is not really just about that salary and benefits. It's about all the bits that you forget to do. And I think that those are the really big issues that agencies have got at the moment. But I think there's a huge overwhelm, Jenny. I think there's a huge overwhelm in information out there. There's got, you know, there's a diversity and inclusion thing that's going on there's all you know with cross sector there's an, sort of issues with safety at work so the bullying and harassment and then some things like me too movement you know and how do we sort of overcome that well it, it's all of us collectively doing something towards it that's the way forward but again if you're a busy agency quite often it's easy to neglect those things and it's quite easy for you to bring into your own bias into these things you know there's a lot of what and why out there and very little how and I think that for agencies just becomes too conceptual it's too theoretical and not you know tangible so agency leaders not only are they overwhelmed with the amount of new policies perhaps that they've got to get their heads around and implement but also from your point of view as well watching them the key thing is retention like retain your good people because it's tough out there at the moment because of you know what you've shared which I didn't realize it was one million shortfall wow I'm interested I mean you're probably going to share some other challenges but let's just roll with those couple at the moment in terms of the communication piece that was really interesting how do you help leaders understand what does great communication look like yeah, that's a really good one. We have been developing some training with clients for this and, and it's something we're actually going to roll out as a product. We really recognise, and I have done throughout my career that, you know, I think it's quite a commonly thought thing, to be honest, that communication is neglected. And I really think that some of it is just getting the leadership to sit down and listen because it affects your bottom line. You know, and really, who wants a toxic person in the business because they didn't communicate? No one. It's an energy drain. So really, what we started to do was sort of roll out some training for clients. And it's sort of, it's grown organically into something that now as a product, we've got a new website being created and it's a product that will go on there. And yeah, it's just about, you know, top tips for communication is active listening. 
is opening your ears, is not coming in with your own assumptions. You know, quite often, if it's between two, you know, if there's an issue with people, you've got favourites in the situation and it's about kind of actually, you've got to be an adult, you've got to step back and go, hey, I can't have a favourite in this, I've just got to look at where the facts are and the evidence. And then it's about having a proper conversation with people and resolving it. So if it's issues, resolving it in a fair and reasonable way. If it's down to the fact that you're not communicating, find someone to help you if you struggle. You know, accept that we can't be everything. And in business, in agencies particularly, small agencies that are scaling as well, you're trying to be everything because money is everything. And you've got to recognise sometimes you can't. And what's really important is developing your your people because that employer brand is so key. It's, you know, it's as important as the brand that you put out to your, your clients. And in fact, in some ways, look at Gymshark, great example, have got the most incredible brand. And that brand is not just because of what they produce. In fact, their brand is probably better known for, for how they look after their people in some ways than the gear that they produce. And that's a great analogy for what you could be is, you know, it, and it isn't unachievable. I think is the word. It's, I, I so agree with this. And obviously I've worked for many, many years in agencies. So I, I, I lived bad culture. And you're so right. It does affect the bottom line because an unhappy ship is going to affect how they are dealing with your clients. They are the ambassadors that are out there dealing with your clients. That's going to affect your bottom line, just as you said. So fantastic initiative about the training. Is it for the leadership team or is it for the owner only? No, it's the leadership team. Yeah, totally for the leadership team. So active listening, how to have a conversation, how to resolve issues among the team. What else do you kind of cover to help them? Boundaries, how to lay proper boundaries. So understanding what you're asking of people. And we really get them to think about that in terms of kind of job adverts and recruitment and right through to kind of conversations that they're having with staff performance just one-to-ones and and those sort of pick up like check-ins if you like and we really get them to kind of think about that in really different ways it's not we don't train kind of like you must do it this way we don't do that we get people to really be real in the room and and share and and get involved and it gets some amazing results I've had people cry on me because of the results that we've delivered you know and it's really powerful because they've never thought about it in that way or recognised that it could be so achievable. So yeah, yeah, it's good stuff. It, you know, it works. It sounds fantastic. I love the initiative. And also, as you say, that kind of training, that kind of awareness from the leadership team is going to retain the staff they've got. Presumably, in terms of the attraction of new staff, that's supporting that. It's going to help that, isn't it? Because think, Happy yeah. Ship's going to tell their friends, they're going to talk about it, they're going to... Yeah do well but what about the attraction piece how are you helping your clients currently with attracting staff yeah so what we we've got a real ethos around kind of job adverts and that recruitment piece and about being creative with your brand so really getting your identity to stand out you know my whole background isn't corporate so I haven't ever really applied a a corporate view to sort of recruitment if you like or any of the HR function or people function. My belief system is just like, as long as you're following the law and there isn't a risk to it, let's have fun with it. So in terms of your brand that gets out there with recruitment, let's have fun with it. So you stand out from the minute people read you and it works. I've recruited people for my team and Alexandra will be 
is it would probably listening to this at some point and she is a complete case in point that she's just loved the advert because it was different and it spoke the language of who we are and what we are and lots of organizations talk about values and that's super important that you identify your values that's not all that should be in the advert there's so much more that you can say about your personality of your business in that advert that makes people say oh, hang on a second this is different this is something that speaks to me as an individual and if you're thinking about even if you're a small business and you haven't got heaps of money if you can work flexibly if people can work from home if people can bring their dog into work if people can like children or even mention the fact that you might have you know i don't know great family packages or whatever it might be those things attract people in a way that they wouldn't have Otherwise, if it's just another job advert, just for another designer or account manager or whatever it is, and it becomes generic, well, I mean, why would you? But if you're creative with your job ad and it stands out, then it's surely, it's the language of the business we're in. We're creatives. Can I ask you what you did with your adverts? Now I'm intrigued and why it was attractive <laughs> to, to your business partner. I have to find it and share it. <laughs> and I basically just said about who we are, that we're human. That we want people, we're humans dealing with humans, we're not dealing with machines, that we're adults. And if you come in, you know, the way that I approach work is, you know, about interaction. And I said, you know, we work in a variety of industries within the sector. So it's fast paced and it's fun. And sometimes it's hard work because it's really fast and people want things from you now. And when they mean now, they mean yesterday, not 10 minutes time. So it's, it's hard and fast. So we've got, you know, my other talked about the support that goes in the business to support people to grow and it works. I've got a great team. It's a small team, but it's a great team and they love it. You know, and what also happens is that we talk all the time. We've got a great network between us. So we work remotely sometimes and sometimes we're in an office together but all throughout the day, we're just as connected, regardless of where we are, because we talk all the time. And, you know, and sometimes, you know, when we'll jump into calls with, we've got a challenge, and but we're open with each other. And, and I fully believe that. And, and, and also that people are, are humans and humans are not just the sum of the sounding that comes to work. We're so much more than that. So if you've got a dog or a washing machine that's broken down or a mum that's not very well or children that need you, then of course you've got to find a way to balance that. You can't just go into work and be that myopic. You've got to be more broad in your thinking about how you manage people and what you allow them to do. And that for a small business is so powerful because that's something you can do. That's something you can offer. When you're bigger, there is a difference in those organisations. But when you're little, you can be a little bit more flexible, can't you? You can be a bit more fun. You can be a bit less serious about it all. Yeah. So get that out there. Yeah, because you, you don't have to get a massive amount of approval from higher up to you. It's just you. And you're ultimately going to attract the right type of person for your business as well that you want to work with. So love it. Great tip. Get creative with your adverts. And um, the other thing that you mentioned, one of the challenges for agency owners was the overwhelmed. You know, you've got DNI, safety at work, the Me Too movement. And how do people navigate that? Any tips? Oh, it's really difficult, isn't it? You know, I have clients that say to me all the time, we really want to get this right. What do we do? How do we get this right? You know, top tips is you've got to be actively conscious of your own bias. You've got to be actively and you've got to work on it. 
we use a T-bar analogy. I think that's probably quite commonly known. But so the, the analogy works that you progress through your career on the ladder. Yeah, so you go up, 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 up. But what part of us do we work on this? So where are we ever working on the skills that might not necessarily be relevant to the up in so much as, you know, going from an account exec to an account manager to an account director to client services and so on and so forth. You know, those heads of, you know, departments and then further up the ladder. At what point do we stop and say, actually, in order to get better at this management bit, we need to do this? And so what we say is, you know, when it comes to diversity and inclusion, when it comes to the Me Too movement, when it comes to safety at work, you've got to be working on that bit, that T-bar. You've got to be conscious of the stuff that goes across the edges. You've got to be conscious of your own bias. You've got to be looking at where's the evidence. So, you know, if you're entering a situation where someone's saying they don't feel safe, don't dismiss it because you don't think it doesn't exist. Listen, find the facts, find the evidence. If you're struggling to do that because you're too busy, get someone to help you, but don't ignore it. Because the more that you ignore it, the bigger issue it becomes and the more toxic it becomes. And remember that being created with your brand at the beginning. If you're created with your brand and then you still get it wrong, that message gets out there too. Small industry, we all know each other somehow it all becomes incredibly easily known. So forget your bias, remove that and be a bit more agile in your own thinking about what can I do that's different here. So that's one thing. Safety at work, actively listening, right? Totally actively listening. And that actively listening again is the same bias mechanism, but it's really, what are you listening? What are you hearing? You know, diversity and inclusion, that's really looking at you know, what have we got in the business? Am I only ever recruiting the same type of person? And often we are, because often we're using our friend or our mate's mate. And that's okay to an extent, because that's what happens in a small business when you're first starting. But if you want to reach your clients and you want to reach those networks, you've got to be different. And you've got to accept that the people that come into your business are going to challenge you, therefore. And you may not always like what you hear, but that doesn't necessarily mean that what you're hearing is wrong. There's a difference. There's a real difference between whether someone is being unreasonable and unfair or whether someone is actually just pushing you and challenging your thinking. If you think about kind of that diversity piece and what your audience is asking for, it's changed. And obviously through COVID, the Black Lives Matter movement has massively moved forward and we've had a really big change. And it's what people are asking for. They're asking in that whole great resignation, it's one of the issues that they're asking for is this diversity piece. So you can't ignore it. No, It's not going to go away either. I suppose agency owners, I'm just thinking of agency owners listening. I suppose prior to the pandemic, if you were a local agency, maybe you would struggle to attract local talent, maybe. And there wasn't maybe such a diverse mix of different skills and different types of people with different backgrounds. But because you were, you know, enforcing everyone being in the office all the time. Now the pandemic in a positive way has meant that you can recruit and have people working remotely. And presumably that then opens up where people are, are recruiting from. Are you finding over the last couple of years, particularly that agencies are looking further afield to get that mix and also to get the right talent and because of the remote working? I think they're still slow to remember that. 
I think it is beginning to shift. But I think there's this feeling that we've suddenly come back to work and we've got to move really quickly and there's a sudden, oh, we can't recruit in the same way. Right, what's changed? I think there's also a sort of a misconception a little bit around what diversity that sort of particularly the recruitment piece is when you're putting your adverts out there with these fantastic sort of messages about being diverse and inviting a more diverse background to, you know, sign up or, or, or apply. What you've got to then do is when you're looking at those CVs or those applications is remember that that journey that people have been on to get to you will look really different. So what are you looking for in the CV? You're looking for another designer, developer, account manager, or are you looking for someone who's going to push you? And they may not have had a straight journey to get to this role. And you've got to be really conscious of the fact that there's something, a spark almost, that's there. And yeah, remote working is definitely one way of tackling it. But if you're always applying the same lens to recruitment, you'll never get a diverse workforce. You've got to be thinking differently. When you put that piece at the bottom of the ad, it looks great. But if you do nothing with it, what's the point? If you still recruit with the same lens, what's the point of having it there? You may as well not bother. What are these typical lenses that sometimes you see again and again? Like, why are you insisting on X? Can you share um, some? I think it's, I've got a gap. I need to fill it yesterday. Mm-hmm. So I'll just go with them because they look great. They look great on paper. They look like they can do it. I might do a little bit of a LinkedIn search. I might do a little bit of a, you know, might look on the dots or somewhere else and look at the profile on social media. Yeah, they seem all right. I'll get them in. It's quick. It's not, it's not responsive. We talk about three things in Fresh Seed. We talk about the reactive work, the responsive work and the proactive work. And quite often the industry is in reactive, not responsive or proactive. And that I think in recruitment is often because they've gone, oh God, we've got a new client. Oh God, we've got to do, not stepping back and being a bit more strategic and saying, we're going to go for those sorts of clients. Therefore, we've got to start building those relationships with those people now. Might not necessarily mean that we want them straight away, but we can do recruitment through LinkedIn and other sources without, and we can warm people up. We can get to know people. We can start to look at kind of what are we asking for differently before we go out to sort of that client and win that piece of work so then that means that when we are winning that piece of work and we are looking for that diverse pool of people we're already sort of aware of what we need and it's not responsive or reactive it's just we're already there we're already on that page and I think that's something across the sector that people don't do they don't plan it at all they just fill a gap Great advice. Great advice. Like build the bench, build the bank of people that you have, build the understanding of who's out there, build relationships, have coffees. Yeah. Lovely, lovely advice. Do you think that sometimes it's down to the actual business model that agencies typically have, like charging by the hour? There's not a lot of margin to kind of, you're always looking at the numbers. And I'll be really honest with you. I remember my days at Publicis we were in a panic because we won a piece of business. We hadn't been building the bench. We didn't. It was like this guy came along. It was like, well, let's go with him. But we hadn't done the same amount of due diligence. Well, it was not due diligence from a a technical point of view, but it was some gaps. And actually, I don't know if you've got those statistics to hand, but recruiting a bad hire, the wrong hire, can be hugely financially costly, can't it? Yeah, it's about £30,000 it costs you. 
which your bottom line, totally, isn't it? 37 pounds is a lot of money, but also it's a huge energy drain. Mm. If you've recruited badly and you've got to go and do it again, gosh, you know, and then if you've taken on a recruiter to do that for you and then that person doesn't work out and then you've got to pay anyway. Mm. You know, we talk to people who've been taken to court because they hadn't recognised that when they'd first engage with a recruiter that if the person didn't work out they'd have to pay a tapered fee you know and they think well I don't want to give the money back well you know and it has recruiters for a reason it isn't as simple as just having a coffee with your mate unfortunately and you know and it is it's just a huge energy drain and not to mention all the admin that goes with it you know one of the pieces of the industry I think is the most broken but I think it's also one of the pieces of the industry that done well is beautiful. Can you give any examples of, you don't have to name names, but anything that you've seen where agencies do it really well? Not recently, I have to say. I think prior to the pandemic, there was that sort of the similar style of the gym shark kind of thing. I have seen some, not agencies, but theatres do some amazing recruitment and really create a really beautiful brand package that's just incredible. I haven't seen it with agencies recently. I think it's been incredibly reactive. And I think a lot of agencies use recruiters as well. And that kind of means you don't have to really identify that brand in perhaps the same way. I think as well, when you're small, you don't have an HR function that can do it. So that can be why you sort of go to a recruiter, I suppose. So no, I haven't recently. I'd love to see more of it. I would love to see it. I'd love to be able to help people do it as well. But, you know, that's why we exist. But yeah, I haven't got any examples, unfortunately, Jenny. I'd love to. You know, if you've got any out there, please share them. Well, we'd love to hear about them. Great. No, we and this is great. And we'll put your contact details in the show notes for sure. Anything else that you've seen over the last few years, particularly, you know, because I think Fresh Seed has been going for, is it over three years now? Yeah, well, just through me, actually. So that was just before the pandemic, then the pandemic hit, and then we're coming out. So what did you see before and what have you seen after? What have been the biggest changes? Oh, it's been immense, hasn't it? <laughs> I know. It's a big question. <laughs> I think beforehand, there was a lot of sort of leadership challenges. There was a lot of pushing for flexible working, pushing for that sort of people to think differently about their brand and the diversity issues were really beginning to get traction and noise. Then through COVID, it's been such a different world. You know, lots of businesses furloughed, lots of businesses really struggled, lots of businesses with huge amount of anxiety, huge amount of sort of stress and struggles. And at one point, LinkedIn was literally like the Wild West. It was so empty. It was bizarre. And it was like, you know, tumbleweed, that's tumbleweed, by the way. <laughs> tumbleweed sort of through, 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 through then. And gradually sort of businesses started to sort of come through that burning machine and sort of unfurl themselves and it started to pick up. And what I've seen now, I think what we saw through COVID was a lot of kindness and support and helping each other. That's goal. It's much colder. It's much harder. It's everyone clambering back over each other. There's a lot of sort of, I'd say there's a lot more aggression. There's a lot more competition. There's a lot more, you know, even in the recruitment piece, I know agencies that are, you know, they've recruited, they've gone through that, they've offered the contract and then the person's gone somewhere else. 
you know, it's a different marketplace at the moment. And that's, as I said before, it's a huge energy drain, but it's also really difficult. If you're a small agency, it's so difficult to compete with those ones that can give you broader brush. And yeah, so we've seen a really different kind of change over the last three years. And, it's, and some of it's been great and some of it's been really stressful. Mm. Would you say that the power is very much in the hands of the talent now, the, the staff? Because as you said, you know, Brexit, we've got a one million deficit. People have decided to go freelance. Are you finding that maybe the big sort of network agencies, for example, that can perhaps afford to pay more are attracting the staff? I think what's happened last year, IOL 35 came back in and I think that's had a huge impact on the industry. Mm -hmm. There was one point when one recruiter said to me that she'd lost two thirds of her candidates because of IOL 35. And for those listening, I know what it is, but could you share what it is so that anyone listening doesn't know? Yeah, it's a tax on individuals, but it's complicated and there are some real specialists and I'm not a specialist in it, so I'm not going to give you kind of the ins and outs of it. But the top line of it is that if you're an employer that has over 50 staff, bottom line of 5 million or a top line of 10 million, you have to pay IR thirty. You're eligible to pay IR thirty five on each contractor, and what that means is that the contractor. So my husband's one. I'll give you his an example. He's a UXer. He's had his business for the last twelve years as a contractor. He is looking for his new roles or you know contracts all the time. And the IR thirty five thing means that as a business, he's paying his corporation tax and his payrolls and so on and so forth. So he's already paying tax. If he goes inside IR35, he'll have to pay 40% of everything he earns. That means that suddenly his day rate has gone from being quite a reasonable day rate to being huge in order to mean that he can still earn the same money. And why should he be penalised for something that isn't his fault? So IR35 has really changed the way the industry operates. Freelancers for in some areas of the industry are more able to pick up lots of little bits of work and that's great. I do feel that that was really relevant during the pandemic because it was that pivoting thing. I hate that word but unfortunately it's out there. Um, be a ballet dancer and change to be a waitress. No, don't. The strange, strange analogies from a Anyway, so I think what we've seen is sort of that change the freelancer market, whether it sustains, I don't know. Um, I'm not, I don't, can't see into the future. But yeah, IR35 has had a huge impact on talent. And I think that therefore has meant a lot of people have gone in house. That's made it kind of hard. And people are a lot more selective now as well. So I know one agency has, you know, got an issue with designers because they're a bit more specific specific about what they want to work on rather than being a broad brush and I think so yeah it's the buyer's market if you're looking for a job yeah absolutely which is the first time in a long time that we've seen this can you talk for a minute just on the subject of equal pay for small agencies I it was only drawn to my attention I'm not an expert obviously but it was drawn to my attention recently with a project that one agency was working on and they found that ensuring that everyone's getting equal pay there's a model that you can apply, but the model was specifically for organisations 
for over 500 uh, or 500 or 5,000 staff. I can't even remember, but any points of help for agencies that are ensuring equal pay? Yeah. So there are some models out there. There's some job evaluation models out there that kind of help with that sort of thing. If you're a small company, I wouldn't go down that corporate kind of road. It just becomes sort of... Yeah. You can't apply it, can you? Yeah, it's just, you know, what I do is we've worked with some clients who've who've done, we've sort of helped them do this. So sort of thinking of a word that kind of helps you put it, we sort of, I suppose boxes is the way to do it. So, and in that box, it's like the bottom and the top of what that role has. So it gives you that succession piece in it. So at the bottom of that role, you know, let's say we're talking about an account except moving up to an account manager kind of role so you've got an, an account exec who might come in at an entry level and you can recognize what those steps would be and how are you going to get them to being at the top of that and what comes at the top of that sort of enable them to be promoted if you like to the next level you might not necessarily have the promotion but you're at least encouraging them to grow so it's kind of looking at in sort of categories if you like like that and then that means that you're making sure that everyone who comes in more or less at that sort of bottom level of whatever that role is, you know what to pay, more or less, and then you can scale it. So once you're getting them, so the account manager analogy, you can do benchmarking yourself. I mean, it's not an exact science, but you can look on job boards and, you know, recruiters' websites and that sort of thing and get a feel for what roles are paying. It's a bit like buying a house. You know, a role can be put out there at a certain price whether they actually get that money is you know a bit of a gray area but probably they're more likely to so you've got to sort of you can use some benchmarking data for yourself there and that sort of gives you in terms of equal pay what's historically been an issue and where it becomes sort of harder to understand is some people were more likely to be in certain roles so you're more likely to say find women in marketing and PR rather than selling finance or even account management. So when you're looking at equal pay across an organization, you want to make sure that you're not just looking at individual departments, but looking at measuring it against the whole organization. And what I've noticed recently, for example, office managers is is a great Example of this, office managers used to be just put in the kind of, well, you're just admin, you're not really worth paying much. So, but women are historically office managers. And so what we've seen is a real shift in that kind of concept around sort of that diversity piece and that, you know, yes, they might be, women might be in administrative, but they're still really, really valuable. And so we sort of begin to see that there's a parity now. So office managers are sort of now getting a to 40 to 50,000 pounds, which is a really good salary and justified because to be honest, it's a really hard job. And so it's being mindful that you might have an admin person, but they're as important as an account exec. They're probably doing something similar in terms of role parity. So just being mindful of those sorts. Don't, don't get caught in your bias about you're just because they're that, they should be paid poorly. Great. I can just imagine some office managers listening in thinking, right, I'm going to make a phone call to my boss. <laughs> this is a great example of obviously how you are supporting agencies in their growth, because, you know, what you're talking about there is the extension ladder of people being promoted. So are there any other kind of key considerations for agency owners in terms of how to scale and grow? My biggest wish 
in that area is please, please, please think before. Don't react. Think. Just recognize I am going forward with this work. We're beginning to win more and more of this work. What do we need in our team? How do we need our team to progress? Who do we need? Do we need a project manager? Do we need an account manager? Do we need an extra designer? Do we need this? But think. Don't fill the gap. Think. If you could do that as an agency, it would be music to my ears. And it comes down to this leadership skills piece, doesn't it, really? Because that's proactive planning for the future and for the way your business is expanding. Yeah. And it, you know what it does is it pays forward. You might think this is just HR going, ah, rah, 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 rah. but I'm not. I've been around the block enough. If you don't do it, 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 you end up with all kinds of problems. You recruit the wrong people because you're recruiting in a hurry. You don't get your diversity right. So that has a knock on effect. You've got toxic issues that arise because you're too busy to communicate. You've got all of these problems and then suddenly you're bringing HR in as the kind of the helicopter to fix it, not the cultural piece to develop it. And what does that say about you? Does that say that you're always in that reactionary space? You're not doing your best work in that space anyway. In our kind of psychology of humans, we're better, we're more creative when we're not in that fight and flight mode. And often if you're reacting and always filling the gaps, you're in fight and flight. It's as simple as that. So just think, take a breath, step back. If it's too hard, pick up the phone to someone who can, whether that's People like Spencer and Peter who've been around the block and done it loads know this. Whether it's us or whether it's someone else that you know that's an ally, do it because it will pay forward. It will be probably one of the most valuable things that you ever do for your business. And for those listening that don't know Peter and Spencer, they are the Cactus Consultants who are co-founders of the Agencynomics community and co-authors of the book. I've just realized the time, Sarah, I could go on talking to you forever. I've got loads more questions, but I want to be really conscious of your time. And I suppose that I want to kind of ask a really good question before we kind of wrap up and you tell everybody how they can reach you. With toxic environments, okay, because we're in the people game, aren't we? You're selling people. People are so, so key to this business, the agency business. Do you think agency owners recognize when there is a toxic environment? Mm. My initial thought there was no, but I think that would be unfair. I think often they do. I think what often happens, and it isn't just agencies, it's sort of probably sector-wide, it's certainly sector-wide, it's certainly probably broader in other industries too. People bury their head in sand. It's people don't like conflict. Who likes conflict? With trained professionals, and I can tell you hundreds of the HR community would go into a room shaking with conflict. You know, nobody likes it. However. In a situation of conflict, there are some great things that you can do that are your ally. And one of those is recognizing that you will be in fight and flight. So state taking yourself back, looking at your facts and your evidence, getting support if you can't do it yourself, which if it becomes really toxic, then you need support. If you can mediate, mediate yourself. If you need to bring someone in, pick up the phone to us. We know loads of mediators. They're great. They will help you. And be adult about this. Be adult. It's really hard. Lots of conflict, toxic environments can really grow. And when it's your baby, it feels so personal. It feels like you've failed. It feels like you've not acknowledged. And it feels like it's just horrendous. It's just never going to end. But it does end. And it does get better. And there are some amazing ways that you can resolve things. And I've seen people who I honestly think thought were going to be 
enemies forever and had these big fallouts and, you know, end of days and unions getting involved and all kinds of dark behaviour. And then they've turned around to mediation and burst into tears and been each other's best friends. And you go, oh, never a bet on that. So even the worst scenario can more often be turned around. So don't avoid it. What I would definitely say, with the HR side of it, the more that you avoid it, the more costly it becomes, really, because the more that you have to get support in to help you or the more that risk you are of it going to an employment tribunal. And employment tribunals, whether you win or you lose, are a huge drain on energy. And if you lose, are a huge cost. Now, you are insured, but regardless, sometimes outside of the insurance, there's still more cost. It's not something you want to deal with. It's not something anyone wants to deal with. And they can be avoided with the right cultural development and the right OD in place. So that's organisation design and development in place. You can avoid tribunals in most instances. So don't avoid it. Top tip. Great, great advice. So listen, Sarah, I can imagine there are some people listening that maybe suspect that they've got an issue somewhere in the area of people and culture and they would love to chat with you. You know, can you tell us who would you ideally like to work with? Who would you like to be contacted by? And just give us a flavour of some of the services that typically you can offer and where to get hold of you. Oh, we've got loads. We are just in the middle of being incredibly creative ourselves and creating lots of models. So we do a lot of training. So what you should know about organisation design and development is a lot of that sits in training. So a lot of that sits in helping you develop your business to be the best that it is. So that's training and workshops. We do a lot of that. We've got models that essentially are like your own personal HR manager, but at a fraction of the cost. So you're still paying perhaps more than you would do for a transactional off-the-shelf type HR consultancy. So you will pay more, but with that, you're getting essentially an in-house person. So we get involved in the nuts and bolts of how you operate to help you overcome issues. We recognise them so you don't have to. So we sort of take that load off. So that's another thing. And the other thing that we're developing right now, which I'd love people to talk to us about, is we're creating a model that's got a subscription model. And in that model, it will have three components. So it'll have HR support, so sort of HR helpline support, if you like, a mentoring and coaching model, and a continuing professional development element. And that's for anyone from an office manager, operations manager, or owner leader who is running kind of the people culture bit all themselves. So I'm not fussed about what your job title is. I'm fussed about you doing that bit of HR that you might not really want to be doing or you're overwhelmed or you don't really know where to access that information. That's what we're creating a model. And that's a pilot that we're beginning to set up. So we'd really love people to get to talk to us about that. But talk to us about any of it because we love it. We're also a phone call. So we've always said to people, and that's one of our USPs, is don't feel put off by the cost They'll find the value in what we do. So come and talk to us. If you need support, even if you think it's silly, we won't and we'll be there. Even if you just want to ask us something like, I need to put on an event, you might think that's really stupid because why would HR and people and culture do anything to do with that? But I'll tell you what, we've done it all. We've sorted catering facilities. We've done events. We've wow. done, we, we joke about what we've done as an HR function that should never have been doing these things. So look, it doesn't matter what the problem is. 
that's not to say that we are events organisers. We're not. We are people in culture. But, you know, pick up the phone, build a relationship, get to know us. We're fun. We're not corporate. We take it like, creatively just like you do. And that's us, really. Great. And what's the best way that people can contact you? So you can find us through our website, which is going to be updated. So it should launch very soon. Fingers crossed. Or you can give us a call on 01926357355. Oh, oh, you can use my email address. Sorry, should say that. Sarah B at freshseed.co.uk or find us on LinkedIn. We're on Twitter as well, but we're not very good at Twitter. So find <laughs> us on LinkedIn. Well, we'll put all of the links and the number there in the show notes. So, Sarah, it's been an absolute pleasure. I, I really feel like I could talk to you for longer. So thank you so much for joining me and sharing everything that Fresh Seed does. Thanks for having me. It's been so much fun. I've loved it. I could talk all day to you, Jenny. <laughs> Great. Thank you. Hope you enjoyed that chat with Sarah and we'll check out her services at Fresh Seed. And if you'd like to receive weekly updates and tips about agency account management, then please head over to my website where you can sign up for my weekly email and check out my details of the training program, Account Accelerator, which is designed to help agencies expand existing client business. I look forward to chatting to you again on the next one.